So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1407, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It's Ask Farnoosh Friday, and I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy back to school for all the parents out there, all the families. Some of you already started going back to school in August. I don't know how you do it, but this week in New Jersey, for the most part, we put our kids on the buses and we are uh, very grateful here in our household to be able to uh, say that it is back to school season. It's nice to get back into our routines. It's uh, in some ways back to the real hard work of finishing the year strong and excited for our daughter, especially because she started kindergarten and she's going to the big school with her brother, going on the big bus. She's just so excited. It's, It's a really special time for her. And also her brother, who can feel a little like, you know, he's got her under his wing and he's been there, done that. And it's really cute to see the two of them doing their school thing together. Some news on my front, some cool news. I uh, started writing a weekly column at CNET called So Money Hot Mike. You know, I have a lot of opinions and I usually share them here on the podcast, but I thought let's uh, reserve some real estate on CNET where I can sound off on some of the financial issues, news, data, trends that I find to be a little triggering. And the inaugural piece this week is about how I'm not a big fan of the buy now, pay later programs and plans. We've talked about this. Like, I just don't understand why these programs exist. I mean, I get it. I get it. It's fertile ground for marketing to people right now who are struggling, whether it's because of rising costs due to inflation or the fact that you're a freelancer or a contract worker and you may not get paid for another 90 days after you've completed your job. Also, interest rates are rising, so we don't want to carry the debt on our credit cards. So buy now, pay later programs, and you've heard of them, you know, the Affirms, the Afterpays, Apple's getting into this billion dollar market. They allow you to pay for items, whether it's, you know, new clothes or sneakers, even groceries in some cases for in bite-sized installments, for installments, interest-free. They don't really do a credit check in the beginning. And if you are late, guess what? Your credit gets hit and there's a fee. And we're learning more about these programs and how convenient they are to a fault. Consumers are participating and spending more than they really should be and adding to our national debt crisis. So I took aim at BNPLs. And of course, what happens next when you do that? The PR emails come through. Yes, the emails from the marketing teams and the public relations folks who represent these companies emailing me saying, hey, Farnoosh, saw what you wrote. Thought we could get on the phone and we could like help you clarify some things. No, I I know enough. (laughs) I know enough. I know that... Not everybody falls into debt with these things. Not everybody's falling into an overspending trap. But 
I don't think we need these products. You know, I and I also think that the way that they are marketed and branded as these financial tools that can help you reach financial wellness and make all your consumer dreams come true. I feel like that's overselling it a little bit, under delivering on a promise. And you know, prepaid debit cards and check cashing services and credit card advances. I mean, these are all you could argue convenient, but they come with a price and they don't necessarily help their consumer achieve financial wellness. If anything, they keep them in a cycle of poverty and in a cycle of having debt. I think there are better tools out there. I include some of them in my article. So I'll put that link here in our episode notes where you can go and check out my inaugural piece for the So Money Hot Mike column covering buy now, pay later plans. What do you think? What do you think? What am I missing? What am I missing here? Preview of what we're going to have from the mailbag today, two questions about the postmath of divorce and how to put yourself back together financially. Somebody wants my book recommendations for new grads. Is it okay to not max out your 401k and instead put money towards a brokerage account? I have some answers, some thoughts. First, though, let's go to the iTunes review section and pick our reviewer of the week. This person will get a free 15-minute money session with me. We have some new reviews since last we did this. And this week, we're going to say thank you to Amanda, who left a review on Friday saying that she really loved the student loan episode, which was last Friday's Ask Farnoosh. I brought on two experts to help us navigate the new student loan elimination plan that Biden and his team have announced that they're going to eliminate up to $20,000 worth of student loans for qualifying federal loan borrowers. There are many nuances to this rollout and we had questions. And so we had on some experts to help us with that. And anyway, Amanda was a big fan of that episode. Here's what she said. Hey, Farnoosh, I love the show. I'm a 35-year-old OBGYN with a mountain of student loan debt, but hopeful goals for my financial future. Your show has been informative and encouraging. I listened to the show this morning and wanted to provide some feedback from the perspective of someone that did refinance with Ernest. Oh, so she also has feedback. Personally, she says, I love that the government is prioritizing student loan forgiveness despite not benefiting. The one issue I have taken is that I have friends with household incomes over $400,000 that have not had to make a student loan payment throughout COVID and this term is counting towards their 10 years. I did the math and some of my close friends have saved over $100,000 during this time. One friend even told me she is able to buy her second home because of this. Their incomes and job security was not impacted by COVID and I find that this is not equitable. I'm trying to stay in my lane and focus on my goals, but this has really upset me. Thanks for your great advice. I'll be listening every week. Thanks, Amanda. That's interesting. I uh, never thought of that. And I, you have a point. I mean, look, the bottom line is that when the government rolls out quote unquote bailouts, you know, and this is technically a, a, a quasi bailout, whether they're doing it for institutions, industries, individuals. During COVID, there was also the Paycheck Protection Plan, PPP loan forgiveness. And in theory, that was all supposed to help the people who needed the help the most. But we know that that is not what actually happened. So it does create moral hazard. And we talked about that in the episode on Friday. So if you haven't checked out Friday's episode, by the way, last week, please check it out. If you have student loans or you know someone who has student loans, forward it to them. It's really worth a listen and a re-listen. 
I would love to extend you, Amanda, a free 15-minute money session with me. You can DM me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi, or you can email me, farnooshatsomoneypodcast.com, and I'll be in touch with a link, and you can pick a time for us to chat. All right. I'm on TikTok now, too. I said that out loud. That is a thing. That is happening. I'm on TikTok, Farnoosh So Money. My goal is to really keep that consistent. Do a video or two a day. Maybe not on the weekends, but... I'm trying to build a new audience there. I have a book coming out in a year. I'm just being transparent. I have a book coming out in a year. I need to sell books. And no, I want to sell books. I want to sell books. And I want everyone to like, you know, learn more about how to live a rich life. So I figured, let me go to TikTok and help some people out, especially since we know a lot of the TikTok creators and the Finfluencers are 22 years old. And that definitely serves a purpose and serves an audience. But I'm like, you know what? I got 20 years on these people and I have some things to say. So I've been on TikTok and I'm trying to keep it really fun. I'm not overthinking things. I'm seeing what's trending, hopping on the bandwagon, doing those kinds of videos and, you know, go there and learn more about me and how to make money, basically. Varnoosh, so money, TikTok. All right, that was my plug for TikTok. Next up is our recession help desk question. I am committed to this, everybody. I know we're not really maybe in a recession, but I am committed so that when we are in a recession this time next year, we'll say, Farnoosh was on it. But really, I think people are hurting. That's the bottom line. You know, people are struggling and want help. And maybe the National Bureau of Economic Research has yet to call this thing a recession, the thing that we're in. But we're many of us are feeling the pinch or the punch, as it may be. And this week, we actually had someone write in to the recession help at CNET.com email. That is a thing, recessionhelp at CNET.com. Email me there with your recession-related questions. This week, a grandfather wrote in. It was so sweet. And he said, Farnoosh, I have a grandson on the way, and I'm super excited. And I want to give him an investment vehicle as a gift rather than toys. I want this to be a gift that when he's 20 years old, he'll open and he can buy that first car or begin his education. Uh, But I need help from family. And I want this to be a gift that everybody contributes to family, you know, mom, dad, aunts, uncles. Um, What advice would you give me to convince everybody to get on board. And it's a really, really sweet gesture and question. And I think what he's really getting at is that investing is not something everybody's comfortable with. And maybe not everybody will see the reward in that because it is something that you have to wait and requires delaying gratification. And we just want to sometimes give kids the toys. And so I said to him, as you approach other family members with this incredibly thoughtful plan, keep in mind that some will hesitate to contribute because of the volatility in the stock market, but you can provide them with examples of how long-term stock market investments tend to do far better than savings deposits over 20 years. The numbers don't lie, and there are calculators online that can lead you to those digits. And then I would also refer him to a piece that I wrote on CNET, which I'll link here, on how to navigate risk in the stock market right now. That might be a good reference. And bring in your family and say, wouldn't you have liked when you were 20 years old to arrive at adulthood with, gosh, I don't know, like $10,000 or $15,000 or whatever you think the accumulation will be? How might that have helped you get a leg up in life? I think that's a hard thing to argue with. So that was our recession help desk question this week. So 
Lovely. And let's now get to the bigger mailbag. First up is Anna Claire. Hey, Farnoosh, love your podcast. Is it okay to contribute to an individual account before maxing out my 401k? I'm 25 and I'm thinking about investing for life events that happen before retirement. I already contribute to the employer match 6% in my 401k and I max out my Roth every year. So I love this question. It is is true that we don't only just want to invest for retirement. We might want to buy a house in 10 or 15 years. We might want to start a business down the road. We might want to, I don't know, fill in the blank. And we want to be able to have an investment vehicle, a portfolio that we can tap without the consequences that come with an early withdrawal from a 401k or an IRA. So you have to wait till you're 59 and a half to take money out of a traditional IRA and a 401k and a 403b. Otherwise, you face a 10% penalty. Roth IRA is a little different. You can take some of the contributions that you've made out penalty-free at any time. But what you're looking for really is to grow the money and then have that all that investment accessible to you down the road at some point for a future goal. I get it. I like the fact, Anna Claire, that you are doing so well with this 401k at work, that you're optimizing that match, you're getting the most out of that, you're squeezing it. And presumably then you are getting at least like 10 or 12% of your salary invested in that 401k annually, which is excellent. And by the way, she's 25. So this is a great place to start. Great head start here. And then you're maxing out the Roth IRA, which is another $6,000. So I think that if you want to now move over to the brokerage account or maybe do a little bit less in the 401k, but definitely get the full match in the 401k. Once you do the full match, maybe you can move on to this brokerage account. I think at some point, once you are optimizing your retirement portfolios, that is a good and natural moment to look at how else you can be investing. And a brokerage account is a little bit more flexible than a retirement account because you can, again, access it at any point. I wouldn't open up a brokerage account for some money that you want to invest for five years or less, or even maybe six or seven years or less. You want to make sure, Anna Claire, that whatever you're putting in this brokerage account, you won't need really for another seven to 10 years or longer because you want to be able to give yourself enough time to earn back some losses when the market has a really bad month or a year or a period of time. We know recessions happen like every five to six years. Um, So I would just caution you with that. I think you know this, but everybody else listening, that's kind of my rule of thumb for uh, investing in a brokerage account where it's not really designed for retirement specifically. So it's a different goal, maybe earlier in your timeline. Just don't make it too early in the timeline. So yeah, Anna Claire, I, I, I say it's okay to do this, but definitely try to reach that employer match fully. Maxing out your Roth would also be great if you did that first and then hit the hit up the brokerage account. All right, Jess wants book recommendations. She says, I have three incredible nieces all in their early 20s at the beginning of their adult lives. One's a teacher, one's finishing graduate school, one is entering her junior year of college. I usually buy them fun books for Christmas, poetry, humor, but in light of where they are in their lives, I'd love to get them a collection of books to put them on a good financial track. Your conversation with Fran Hauser 
where you discussed her workbook and her other book, The Myth of the Nice Girl, is what inspired this question, actually. So do you have any suggestions for the books I could get them to help make sure they start their professional lives with more knowledge than I did 20 years ago? Okay, so Jess, you know, I have a book for young adults. It's called You're So Money. Live Rich Even When You're Not. The forward is by David Bach. I wrote it, came out in 2008. So there are some dated references in there to things like Motorola Razor phones and sex in the city. If you can get over that, the advice is still good. I think the voice is solid. It's me. And so there is that option. But I also love the Broke Millennial series of books that Erin Lowry, who's a friend and guest of So Money, has written. And the Broke Millennial started out as her very popular blog, and then it turned into a series of books. The first is sort of the granddaddy, you know, all things personal finance, the Broke Millennial. And then the second one, I think, dealt with investing. And then the third one was about money in the context of relationships and not just like romantic ones, but money when you're talking about money with your friends, your parents, etc. And then, of course, Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, is I think now has now sold, I think, a million copies. It's a little deal. And he's been on this show a lot. He's one of my favorite people, favorite guests on the show. And then this book is not exactly a money book, but I think it's a great book for someone who is starting out in life, advice that I wish I had gotten in my 20s. And it is this book, Unfollow Your Passion by Terry Trespicio. Unfollow Your Passion is all about mapping out a life for yourself that is really, truly yours and not a life that takes on borrowed advice that's not very good from other people. This idea of pursuing your passion while in theory, great, is not always the best pursuit when it comes to creating a solid career path for yourself. Like passion's important, but also profit too, being good at what you do, feeling valued at work. So those are my book recommendations, Jess. My book, Aaron Lowry, Ramit Sethi, and Terry Trispicio. They've all been on this show if you want to look up their episodes as well. Next up is our friend Sabrina, who writes the following. Farnoosh, I'm a black female. I'm 50 years old. I have three kids, ages five, nine, and 13. I've primarily been a stay-at-home mom, which for such cliche reasons crippled me financially. I'm in the process of divorce. My ex's career is soaring while I feel like a 1950s housewife in the dark and starting from scratch. I'm grateful to say that I did pursue a master's part-time over the last seven years so I can build out my career as a mental health therapist, though most don't go into this line of work with aspirations of becoming a millionaire. My question is, where do I start? What should I prioritize in order to gain confidence and traction with becoming financially accountable and successful? And then her second part of the question is, is really sweet. She says, I've been loving your show. It's a great resource. I've started at episode one. Am I missing out by not maybe starting with the most recent episodes? Thanks in advance. Well, I'll answer the second question first, because that's a little bit easier. Um, Given everything you're uh, working through right now, I would highly recommend a few episodes that I've done with women who have really found their footing post-divorce. First is Lauren Grutman. She's a financial expert and author, and she came on the show and opened up about the struggles that led to her recent divorce 
and how she is thriving today. There was also Emma Johnson. She's the founder of Wealthy Single Mommy. She's a divorced mom of two kids. Wealthy Single Mommy is a blog, fantastic resource. Emma's an incredibly important voice for women who are divorced, especially single moms. And she is a big champion of 50-50 parenting. Um, which is a little controversial, but I'm a big fan of it. I see the merit in it and check her out, Emma Johnson. And then last, Daisha Kennedy. She's the creator of the award-winning financial advocacy group called The Broke Black Girl. And she's just a force and talks about raising two kids, getting married very young, and then going through a divorce and all the lessons learned. And now she's on her feet. And so my first piece of advice for you, Sabrina, where do you start? is you prioritize yourself now. You know, I'm sure that uh, throughout your entire marriage and as a wife, as a mother, you may have lost, and I think you kind of said this, like you've lost your identity. This is really your moment to step back into the person that you were and discover the new things about yourself, the person that you want to become and really invest in that and prioritize you. Your kids are five, nine, and 13. You are in it. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. I don't know what I would do if I had a third who's 13 and going through the teen years. My goodness, you have so much on your plate. It's really important if you have still a good relationship with your ex to talk about sharing your kids and the time that it takes to raise them. I hope you're not planning on doing this all on your own, right? That's part of why 50-50 parenting is so important. Too often we assume as women in post-divorce that the kids must be with us all the time. This is the way that it's always been. Mom knows best. And yeah, some dads uh, should not be in the picture for various reasons. And uh, I'm not going to get into all of that. But if there is still a healthy relationship between the two of you, and even if not, you know, but if he's a good father and he can be there for the kids, make sure that he's there for the kids. Come up with a system, come up with a plan because you're going to need time. As important as money to you right now is time. And as much as you can carve out time for yourself during the weeks so that you can perform some self-care, invest in your next career, so important. You are laying the foundation. It's not going to all happen this year, but you have to plant the seeds and that takes time. So yes, you need savings and yes, you need to get your financial house in order. If you didn't have your own bank accounts and your own credit cards, got to put things in your name now, start establishing your own financial profile, but also time. Invest in yourself, prioritize your time and insist upon co-parenting if you're comfortable with it. I would recommend going back to listening to my episode with Emma Johnson where we talked about 50-50 parenting. I will say that there are cases, there are exceptions to this. And I'm not saying that as a rule, as a must, all parents should split parenting responsibilities. But it is also true that single motherhood, when you're really just by yourself doing it, it is a huge financial handicap. I don't have to tell you why. It just is, right? You don't have time, as much time as your former partner to go out in the world and apply yourself and make money and invest in yourself and all of the important things that you should and are entitled to do. Sabrina, thank you so much for being in the audience and for this really important question. And I, I'm so happy to know that you did invest in yourself during these years. You're going to do this because you have already been doing this. You have been investing in yourself, maybe not fully, but now you can really step into it. You've got a master's. 
You got this. And then Elizabeth, to finish us this week, also has a question about bouncing back after divorce. Here's her question. Hey, Farnoosh, a friend recommended your show to me and she was absolutely right. You are awesome. I was listening to your conversation with Erin Confortini last week. Erin, by the way, is the TikTok star, the 22-year-old influencer that I'm trying to learn from. You both had a quick conversation about budgets and I have a question. I'm putting myself through a personal finance rehab, if you will, just finish a divorce where I get the majority of the debt because of our income disparity and I now pay my ex alimony. Anyway, for the first time, I'm really trying to learn and do right by myself financially. When you both were talking about budgets, it made me wonder, should you budget by category or by item? And what I mean is if I go to Target and it's a mix of things. Do I say it's groceries or do I boil it down to more? Well, Elizabeth, this is a very specific budget question and I'm not a budgeting expert because my take on budgeting is I don't like budgets. <laughs> you know, I, I, so there's actually a study that a Yale professor did recently about like the traditional financial advice that has been given and how a lot of it is fraught. And he took aim at the whole like concept of budgeting and, my, and why it might just be better to do some mental math. I have to go back to inf- and find that study and, and really figure it out. Maybe I'll bring him on the show and, and kind of go to battle with him a little bit. But I do think that budgeting can be more work than it should be. In the beginning, though, when you're coming out of something like a divorce or you're just starting out, you have a fresh, clean slate and you want to get on a system. Yes, I think where you're at, Elizabeth, it does help to be really meticulous. And then eventually you will get a hang of things and you you may not have to reference this budget in such a detail-oriented way uh, in months to come because you just sort of gotten the hang of it and you have that mental math working for you. I think that Target is one of those places where you can get almost everything, right? So it is important that if you're going to Target that maybe you do compartmentalize your spending and you say, okay, well, I'm, I spent $250 there today. 150 of that was groceries. You want to be fair to your budget. If you've budgeted $500, let's say a week or a month for something, you don't want to cheat that. You, you don't want to say, well, I went to Target and I bought you know all this produce, but it was Target. So I'm going to put that under miscellaneous or household items. No, really be true to how your spending should reflect how it's being identified on the budget. Now, you brought up Target, and I think Target, there's a lot of miscellaneous that we buy at Target, but it generally falls within like a few buckets. There's groceries, kids, kids stuff, which could be school supplies, clothes, sneakers, and then maybe, you know, toiletries and household items. I love Target so much. I really do. It's like, it's like, it's like fun for me. And I can never get over the prices. I'm like, how is this only $6, you know? But uh, then of course I check out and it's like $160 later. So there is that to reckon with. But Elizabeth, I think that you got to do what is true to your budget and true to your spending, at least in the beginning, because you really want to get honest with the numbers. As somebody, again, who's coming out of a divorce, who's looking for a fresh start, you want to get really clear on your patterns, your financial patterns, your needs, your wants, the way that you spend, doing this consistent look over and tracking at least for a month or two or three, I think is going to be life-changing. And then eventually you'll just be cruise, you'll be on cruise control and you'll look back and go, why was I being so meticulous? It's because you had to do that to be able to arrive at this place where you feel comfortable freestyling it a little bit. All right, everybody, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
If you like what you're listening to, if you like this show, and I know you do because you waited till the end, please leave a review, hit that subscribe button and share with just one other person. You saw how some of the people who've learned about the show, it all it came through word of mouth. It's still sometimes the best way to get the word out. It's not like buying Facebook ads. Thank God, because I don't have budget for that. Thanks again, everybody. I will see you back here on Monday when our guest is Mark Scholes. He's a New York City psychotherapist. And we're going to talk about attachment theory, one of my favorite topics, and how it shows up in your financial life and how to get better with money in your relationship. I hope your weekend is so money. <laughs>